I don't know about you, but I'm tired of watching the news and hearing the phrase fake news. Uh, it's almost a, it's a new uh, phrase that's out there. Uh, the Democrats use it of the Republicans. The Republicans use it of the Democrats. The liberals do it of the, of the conservatives. The conservatives of the, the Fox News does it of the CNN News. And CNN News does it of... And I'm like, where is the truth? Would the truth please rise up? Because I'm, 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 I, I, I'm like addicted to it. I go back every night and I watch the news and in disgust uh, at, at times as I, I'm trying to discern truth. Where is the truth in the midst of all the fake news out there? Uh, or all the, the propaganda or the, all the, the switching and the twisting and the turning and the agendas that are out there. It's, it's nauseating. It, it, I don't know if it's for you, but it is for me. And I just, I even, see, uh, excuse me, CBS uh, 60 Minutes producer has defined what they are calling fake news. Now listen to this definition. Stories that are provably false, okay, but have enormous traction in popular appeal and culture and are consumed by millions of people. It's almost like the National Enquirer meets live video now. It's like, what is truth? Oh, okay, we know there's a clearly definable uh, evidential that this is not true, but we don't want to believe it. We go over here and we take some other uh, hypothesis or some other narrative and we want to create, but yet the evidence is back here. It's like I'm just confused about it all. And I think about the Christian faith a lot of the same ways. I think there are true Christians, true followers of Christ, and then I think that they're not, they're fake. Christians. There's a fake faith out there. Now listen, I'm not trying to be judgmental because I don't know who they are. I don't know who they are in this room. I don't know who they are outside this room. I don't know what churches. I, 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 don't, I, don't, know. I don't know, but I just know that that's the case because even Jesus talks about it. He talks about how there's wheat among tares and tares, or tares will be among the wheat and you don't need to worry about trying to separate them out because they look the same. They act the same. They, they smell the same. They have all the appearances, but let God in himself sift out the, 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 the two. So I do realize that, that what we live in and that there's fake news, there's also fake faith. There's also a fake belief out there. And so all I can do is I can look, 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 step back, take some timeless objective truth and try to measure, does my life, how does my life fit into this? Do I have a fake faith? Do I have a genuine true faith in God? Now we talked about, I want to pick up where we left off last week. We kind of talked about this. Do you follow Jesus in theory or in reality? Because I think everybody in this room, from this side to this side, everybody is probably saying that, hey, I follow him. Now, do you really follow him? What does that mean to follow him? What's the cause and effect of following him? Because I do think if you're following him, there will be some effect of that. There will be something that will happen in you. This whole series has kind of been about that. So let's break it down some even, even more and let's talk about what it means to be a theoretical follower of Jesus. That basically means you're an imitation of Jesus. Now, not all imitations are bad. Some are deceptively bad, okay? But 
there are imitations that are bad and there are imitations that are that are really close to genuines and we're kind of peel back the layer on that but even Paul talks about this I mean we talk about Jesus talking about it but even Paul talks about it in 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 5 you need to write that down and go back and read that later on it says having the appearance of godliness he's telling Timothy hey be careful out there because you're going to run into people that are going to have the appearance of godliness but they deny the power. Their life does not, uh, 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 does not exude the power. They, they've not experienced, they've not had the life for transformation happen to them. And this is the next words he says. He says, avoid them. Avoid them. So if you're going to sit there and say, okay, I want to be a follower of Christ, well, don't look at an imitation, Okay. So you need to know, you need to ha- make sure you have the true markup. Now, th- when you look at this idea of, uh, of categories of people, let me give you four categories really quickly that, that may fit, that may, that may help unpack it a little bit more. First of all, there are the nevers, there's the nuns, the, there's the notionals, and then the nominals, okay? A lot of ends in there. Okay, I want to talk about the nevers and the nuns, first of all, because to them, I want to say welcome, okay? Welcome to Grace Point. Because we were started for you, believe it or not. We were started for the, the nevers. The nevers are those who have never gone to church. They grew up in the home of a nuns, most likely, because for many years across America, everybody went somewhere, okay? But now in this day of post-Christendom, there, there's now a generation that's being born, and they're being born to the nuns. Those are the ones who opted out of church back way back when, and now they've had children, and they've grown up in their homes, and they have never, no, never gone to church, and they're the nevers, okay? So the nuns and the nevers, I want to say, welcome. You are at the right place. We actually do a study of all of our North Point class and everyone that comes into our North Point class, and I can clearly say through our studies that 71% of those that go on and come to Grace Point, North Point class, 71% of those would fall into one of those two categories. We had somebody that was in our last North Point class that she grew up as a never. She never went to church. She never, ever went to church until she was 17. And then all of a sudden, she heard some people talking about Jesus. She wanted to explore Jesus. And this is in America, okay? This is in America. You know, she was, she was born in America, and she was raised in, a, in this country where, where churches are on every corner. But she never went to church because she lived with parents who were the nuns who left the church. And when she was 17, she thought she was going to explore Jesus out because she had heard something about Jesus. She goes and dives into this and she says, this is incredible. Why didn't I hear about this growing up? Why, 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 Why am I just hearing about this now? She is now three or four years into her faith. She is a full on sold out follower of Jesus, but her story is incredible, but she falls into those categories. So to the, to the nuns and the nevers that are in the room today, don't feel like I'm isolating you. Don't think I'm picking on you. I'm saying welcome to you. Okay. You are a part of a church that wants to welcome you. Even if you're not there yet, you're on a journey. You're welcome. Okay. Now let's talk about the notionals. And the nominals. To those, I have one message for you. Like I said, to the others, I said, welcome. To you, I say, awaken. There needs to be an awakening inside of you. There needs to be an awakening. And I'm not trying to get judgmental here because, again, I don't know who you are. But I do know that there are some out there who, who, who like the notion of being a follower of Jesus. 
Now, they've not made one step forward to do that, but they like the notion. If they're asked on a survey, are you a Christian, are you Muslim, are you atheist, are you this, they are going to check uh, boldly that they are a, a, a Jesus follower, okay? They're, they're a Christian on their survey. Then there are the nominals. The nominals are probably followers of Christ, but they're nominally following Christ, they're barely in the camp. And again, the line of demarcation between the two is very slim. And, and I don't even want to begin. It's like the wheat and the tares. I can't separate them out. And it's not my job to separate them out. It's not my job to judge anybody in that whole process. But Barney, in all of his research, estimates that 44% of those who go to church on a regular basis are nominals or notionals. They like the idea of following Christ, but it's not really changed their life. They followed Christ. They said, hey, I want to follow Christ. They prayed some kind of prayer. They've gone through some kind of class. They've, they've been dunked in some kind of pool of water. They've been sprinkled by some kind of pool, uh, kind of water out there. And they're going to call themselves Christians. But really, they're theoretical followers of Christ. Imitations, if you will. This is what a shoe salesman by the name of Dwight Lyman Moody said. Uh, he had this amazing experience with God, and, and this is what he said. He becomes one of the greatest orators of Christ and his message to the nations and to the world and across America. And this is what he said. He says, if I know my own heart today, I would rather die than to live as I once did. So he, he admits that there's been a change. A mere nominal Christian and not used by God in building up his kingdom it has seems a poor and empty life to live for the sake of self. What a statement. There was a day that I was a nominal Christian. Then I just lived for myself and it was all about myself. And I really wasn't making a big impact in this world. And I was, I was just muttering around in this pool of Christianity. But I really wasn't. Seeing life change in me, life change in others, I really wasn't making an impact. I was living for the emptiness of myself. We want to move past that. A realistic follower of Christ is a lifestyle follower of Christ. It is woven into the fabric of their soul. It is in their thoughts, it's in, it's in their words, it's in the way they hear life, it's the way they see life. It affects their, their senses, it affects how they emote, it affects how they relate with other people, it affects how they forgive or, or, or reconcile with other people. It affects them in every sense of the word. It is the lifestyle. A Christ follower is all out, all in, all the time. All out, all in, all the time. Say it with me. A Christ follower is all out, all in, all the time. It's not a suit you put on on Sunday morning and you go to church and your Sunday go to meeting clothes and you look good when you're in the, in the presence of the preacher and you look good when you're in the presence of your small group and you put on the suit and you, and you look good, but then when you go home, you take it off and the way you talk to your kids and the way you talk to your spouse and the way you deal with life and the way you handle your money and the way you do your business on Monday has absolutely no permeation, no penetration of Jesus there. A follower of Jesus is all out, all in, all the time. 
Paul said it like this. He says, you'll have the mind of Christ. We have the mind of Christ. In fact, you'll go so far as to take every thought. I mean, every thought that flies through your mind, every thought that enters your mind, every thought that comes from your mind, you will take it captive and bring it into obedience. You realize, you know this. Yeah, I'm going to tell you anything you don't want to know. That most of our battles in life are won or lost between the ears. And if we don't in our minds have the mind of Christ, take captive every thought, then we will lose the battle in the mind. And if we lose the battle in the mind, it's only one step from our life. It's only one movement away. James said it like this. Out of the message it says that you can... You can no more show me your works apart from your faith than I can show you my faith apart from my works. You cannot segment the two. You cannot differentiate the two. They are fit together, works and faith, faith and works, fit together, hand in glove. You cannot say, I'm a follower of Christ, but my life doesn't look like it. I'm a follower of Christ, but my money doesn't look like it. I'm a follower of Christ, but my relationships don't look like it. I'm a follower of Christ, but I've got these little secrets that are going on back here that nobody else knows about, but it's just between me and myself and I. No. Everything is is impacted when you're a follower of Christ. Nothing is off limits. Peter said it like this, Therefore, with the minds that are alert and fully sober... Set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Christ Jesus is revealed in his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires that you uh, had when you lived in ignorance. So there was a day, there was a day, I know when I live that way, you live that way. There was a day whenever you just did it because you wanted to. You just... Drank it because you wanted to. You just popped it because you wanted to. You just followed it because you wanted to. You just watched it because you wanted to. Hey, you're a free man. You're a free woman. You can do what you want to do. But there's a day when some people, not everybody's sad to say, some people are still living in dumpster fires. There's a day whenever you have this wake-up call with Jesus and, 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 and there's, a, there's a flipping of the switch. There's a changing of the soul. There's a, a changing of ownership. There's a t- turning over. And as Paul, as Peter says it here, he says, it's ignorance. You used to live that way, but you don't live that way anymore. Again, what I say, following Jesus is a lifestyle. Paul said it. James said it. Peter said it. Hey, let's throw Jesus into the mix. Jesus said it. When Jesus said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So there's, a, there's, a, there's a, almost an acid test. There's almost a, a litmus test of a real follower of Christ is not just somebody who throws up a few Hail Marys whenever they've done something wrong on Saturday night. It's not just a person who knows the Lord's Prayer and can kneel it. Uh, you know, it's not just somebody who knows how to, how, how to dance the Christian dance. No, no, no. It's a person who does what the Father tells him to do. It's obedience. It's what Peter talked about. It's what Jesus talked about. It's what James talked about. It's what Paul talked about. It's what the Christian faith is. It's what the Christian faith is. Life principle for you. Jesus didn't call us just to believe. 
but much more he called us to follow. Called us to follow. And some of this is review because I'm kind of wrapping it up. I'm landing the plane this week myself, but actually Lori's going to put the capstone on it next week. So you don't want to miss that as she kind of wraps up the series. But as we talk about this, I want to kind of go back and review. We've been talking about the chase. We're talking about pursuing. We've been talking about this uh, uh, intentionality about our life, that we are in a pursuit of him. We're following him. He's leading the, the way. And we talked about how, how fast are we in the chase? You remember that an acronym? I want to come back and go back and relive that real quickly here because I want, to, I want you, now that we're wrapping up the series, I want you to say, okay, how fast am I in the chase? The first F is first. Is Jesus first in my life? Okay, there ought to be some measurable, tangible ways that you can look at your life and say, okay, he's first in my life because he's first in my, uh, he's the first day out of every week. I give him the first day. I give him the, the first minute out of every day. I give him the first dime out of every dollar. I give him the first consideration out of every decision. I'm literally trying to think about ways that he's not first. He's the first person in my relationship. He's the first, I love my wife better because I have Jesus first. How does that look for you? Think about it. The word aggressive is one of those words that I, that is, is the letter A of the word fast. It's not a passive relationship. It's not me set back, kick my feet up, and Jesus comes to serve me. It's me up on my toes aggressively pursuing him. He called me to follow him, not me telling him to follow me, if you can understand the difference there. And in fact, in this whole pursuit of God, this is not just a Sunday morning thing. So one of, the, one of the books I read before writing my dissertation was a book by George Barna. I quote Barna a lot. I love his research into the culture, into, into the church, and how the two mix up together. But one of the books that I, that, that, that I read that I pulled back off the shelf this week was Growing True Disciples. I like the title. Growing True Disciples. Because it actually begs the question there. Okay, if there are true disciples, why do you put that in the title? Unless that means there are false disciples. True disciples, false disciples. Otherwise, he would have just said simply, hey, growing disciples, right? So if there are true disciples, then that must mean they're false disciples. And what he did is he dove in to, to true disciples, what a true discipleship disciple looks like, which is very similar to our definition, by the way. And then he said, now what was the qualities of their life and how did they live their life, lifestyle, okay? What did they do? And this is what he found. He said that on their own, not because the church told them to, not because their small group told them to, not because the preacher told them to, not because the Pope told them to, but because on their own, because they are owning their own faith, they will spend anywhere between four to six hours on their own in any given week just developing their own faith. Think about that. How much time, not because you were told, not because you were checklisted, not because your accountability group is going to ask you, but because you want to grow in your relationship. Four to six hours. That's not all at once. It may be an hour a day. It may be 45 minutes a day. It may be 30 minutes a day. Sprinkle out over the course of a week. Think about it. So it's aggressive. It's also selfless. If you don't catch that from last week's message, go back and re-listen to that. Jesus made it very clear that his modus operandum of life was he was going to lead like this. He's going to lead by being a servant leader. 
He's going to be the one who gets dirty, puts on the apron, takes off his own robe, puts on the, the apron, and he washes the disciples' feet. They're dumbfounded as he's doing that. Why? Jesus is doing selfless leadership. And then what does he do? He turns around and says, now I want you to go and do the same thing. I love it. So he modeled what he asked of us. So to be a Jesus follower now, I need to put on selfless attitude about my faith and walk. And then the, the, the T of, tra- of fast is transformed or revolutionized. Why, how is Jesus revolutionizing, changing, altering my life in so many ways? And so hopefully in the past month and a half, two months, you have been able to say, God's done this. God said this. I've adjusted here. Hopefully you can begin to mark these things in your life because here's the reality. Most people don't. You come in here and you hear a message. Oh man, I need to do something. I need to meet with God. I need to pray more. I need to give more. I need to sacrifice more. I, I, just, I just need to be. I, just, I don't need to do anything else. I just need to learn to be. Remember Mary Martha message? Be with Jesus more efficiently. And beautifully. The problem is, is that most of us, most of us don't. We by accident might get there by accident. In fact, Barna again, if I can quote from him, he said that one in 12 men, one in 12, less than one percent, less than 10 percent, one in 12 men have a plan, Christian growth plans, the way he, he called it. We have this thing, and I've mentioned it now for the third week in a row here, that we're trying to encourage you. That's all we can do is encourage you. We can't force feed it on you. We're trying to encourage you to be intentional in your discipleship plan. Okay? We got forms, and we got online, and you can go online, and you can fill out an intentional discipleship plan. Now, here's the thing about it is it's not going to be a plan that you're gonna, we're going to give you. You're going to go online, and you're going to fill it out yourself, and you're going to listen to God yourself, and you're going to take time with him yourself, and you're going to listen for his voices. And all we do in that plan is we ask questions. We do not propose your plan. We do not insert our plan onto you. We do not, we do not, we do not, we do not do that because we want you to listen to God. And where is he leading you? The cool thing is, is then then you can then send it to your accountability, one another, brothers and sisters. You can then send it to your prayer partner. You can have a pastor walk with you along beside, or you cannot. You can keep it all to yourself. But here's the thing. You can either be a follower of Jesus in theory or you can be a follower of Jesus in reality. The choice is going to be yours. It's going to start in your thoughts. It's going to start right between your ears and you're going to win the battle between your ears because you've heard the statement, I've said it before, you, you sow a thought, you reap an action. You sow an action, you reap a habit. You sow a habit, you reap a character. You sow a character, and you reap a destiny. What is your destiny? What is your life, if you stay on the path that you're on right now, does it mean you're going to be living the destiny that God designed for you? The chase that we've been talking about? Because here's the reality, we're all going somewhere. Some of us are going somewhere on purpose and some of us are going somewhere on accident. 
And if you're going down somewhere street on accident, then my friends, you will be chasing all the whims and the winds of the world and it will blow you down one street and you'll find yourself at the cul-de-sac of shame and regret if you travel the road called accident. Or you can travel the road called purpose. And I'll promise you this, you will go over mountaintops and you will go through deep valleys. You will go through canyons and you will go through deserts and you will also go through streams and you will go through beautiful times, but you will never be bored, I promise you that. And you will always end up with significance and purpose. Everyone is going somewhere, but only some people are going there on purpose. Are you going to go where you're going in your pursuit of God on purpose or by accident? Take your Bibles and open to the book of Mark. We're going to kind of revisit a story that we've already told, so I'm not going to give much in the form of context. We broke it down in depth several weeks ago. But I want to come back to this passage because this passage is pretty significant in my life. When I move from being an imitation of Jesus to a lifestyle follower of Jesus, it was this was one of the key passages for me. So if you don't mind, let me just indulge myself and give a little bit of my own personal journey. How many in this room are in high school or junior high? Raise your hand. Okay. We've got a little section over here that largely senior high, junior high. This happened to me when I was a sophomore in high school. Let me talk to you guys for a moment. For about eight years of my life, I was a believer in theory. I was a, a convenient follower of Jesus. I, I believed in Jesus and I wanted to follow Jesus, but I didn't want to follow Jesus because I knew to follow Jesus meant far more than I was giving. But I can tell you this, I was following Jesus as much as anybody else in my youth group, so I was okay. I kind of measured myself against everyone else and I thought, hey, I'm pretty good. Actually, I weigh, I weigh pretty high on the scale. And God began to show me something because what I'd had is I'd built up little idols in my life. I had one little idol called image and it was about image management. And that was my idol called image. And it was all about how people saw me and people believed about me and people thought about me and people said about me and all about that kind of image. That was one of my little idols there. Another little idol on my table was my achievements. Now, for you, it may be grades. That was not mine. Okay, mine was sports. Anything with a ball, I could take it and I could do, do well with it. And that I, 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 that, that I was successful in, in a large degree and loved it and got a lot of image em- enhancement because I was good at the ball thing, okay, at the sports thing. And then there was this relationship idol over here that I did pretty well at that on some scales, if you will. And then all of a sudden, these little idols began to crumble. They weren't what... They they didn't hold up under the pressure. They gave way and they fell out underneath me. And I found myself flat on my face before God in my bedroom crying out to God because everything that I had built my life on had all of a sudden crumbled. And in that moment of my bedroom and realizing, God, what have I done? What have I believed in? 
What have I hoped in? What have I built my life on? All of a sudden, gone. And then I raised my eyes up just long enough to see that Jesus was still there. Jesus hadn't left me. Jesus still loved me. Jesus still embraced me. At that point, students, I can tell you, that revolutionized my life. There was a pivotal change in my life. There was a point in time I could take you so much back to that, to that moment, the season. I could almost take you back to the date in time when that happened. And that pivotal moment when I went from being a nominal notional follower of Jesus that was really a believer in Jesus to I, I am all in, all out, all the time following Jesus. And that changed me whenever everything else around me crumbled. And you know what? One of the passages that God used is Mark chapter 1, verse 16. Follow along. Passing along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. So you are fisher of men, but I'm going to make you become, process, fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and they followed him. That experience with Jesus revolutionized my life. Two questions that kind of beg, come out of that that I want you to ask yourself today. Two reality follower questions, test. One is, am I listening and am I letting Jesus lead? Am I listening and am I letting Jesus lead? He said, follow me. Let me lead you, not you lead me. (laughs) Big, big paradigm shift. Big different way to see life. Let me decide where you're going to go. Let me order your steps. Let me put your your plans in place. There was this British lady who became a follower of Christ and people were admiring how fast she grew up in her faith. And they asked her this question, why is it, how is it that you grew so rapidly in your faith and and God has used you in such a mighty way? And she had three words for him, mind the checks. In a British kind of way, mind the checks. It wasn't pay the checks. That's not what she's saying. You know, mind the gap when you go to the underground and, and it's pay attention. Pay attention to the nudges. Pay attention to the warning signs. Pay attention to the scriptures. Pay attention to wise counsel. Pay attention to the gentle nudges of God, to the hesitations, to the pullbacks of God, to the checks in your spirits. Pay attention. Pay attention. Mind the checks. For me, it's the phrase, don't run the yellow lights. Okay? Now, I know it's legal to go through a yellow light. Kind of. I found this out the hard way. My very first speeding ticket. Actually, my number second, second speeding ticket. My second speeding ticket was whenever I saw the yellow light. And what do I do? I press on the pedal to go forward faster. 
and look behind me. That's what you're supposed to do, right, on the yellow lights. No, you're supposed to put your foot on the brake and stop as fast and as safely as you can. Well, I sped up. Well, I wasn't paying attention. I was looking behind me, but there was a cop right on this side of me. And that one just pulled right behind me and gave me the blue light special and uh, high speed award for the day or some kind of ticket on, on that day. And so I learned on that day, yellow lights, pay attention to them. Mind the checks. Mind the nudges. Mind the direction of God. One of the statements on the IDP or the intentional discipleship plan that we have, I love it. One of the, one of the pastors submitted it as, to put on there. I love this question. What is the last thing that God directed me in obedient faith? What's one of the last things God directed me to do through obedient faith that I have not yet done? I like that statement. Because it gets at the point that there may be something that God's already told you you need to do. You're thinking, God, why aren't you speaking to me? I'm not hearing from you in heaven anymore. And he's like going, the last time I talked to you, you didn't do it. How many of us want to know God's plan for our life? I mean, God, give me the whole plan, A to B, B to C, C to D, and all that kind of stuff. And he doesn't do it that way. He never does it that way. He hardly ever does it that way, I should say it like that. But he, all of a sudden, he gives us A, and he won't give us B until we've done A. And we're wondering why we're stuck at A, because we've not done A first. What is it that he's asked you to do that you're not doing? Because here's one of the marks of a follower of Christ is my sheep, Jesus said, hear my voice. I know them. There's a personal relationship. And they follow me. The voice of God is not hard. He speaks. He wants you to know his will worse than you want to know it. But listen, he will not drown out the noises of this world. Here's what one person, how one person wrote out beautifully. I don't even know who wrote it out, but I love the way they described the voice of God. His is a still small voice. A still voice can hardly be heard. It must be felt. A steady, gentle pressure upon the heart, the mind, the touch of a morning zephyr to your face. A small voice, quietly, almost timidly spoken to your heart, but if, in, if, in he, but if heated, growing noisily clearer to your inner ear. His voice is for the ear of love. If you don't love him, you won't hear him. And love is intent upon hearing even the faintest whispers. I love the way he describes the voice of God. Here's the problem in our culture is we have a time over desire problem. We have a desire to know God's will, desire to hear his voice, but our time just does not allow for this 30-minute conversation with you, God. If you'll give me a seven-minute minute with you, God, if you'll give me the quickie, if you'll give me the download real fast, that's all I really need. That's all I really have time for. I don't have time. I don't have time. What we've got to do is we've got to learn to desire Him. We've got to invert that. Where our desire for Him 
is greater than our issues of time. Because here's what I've learned about life. If you have a strong enough desire for anything, you will find time for it. If you don't have desire for God, you won't have time for him. So question number one, am I listening and letting Jesus lead? Question number two, is my life extending Jesus' life to others? Now, again, notice what he said there. He said, you're a fisherman and I'm going to make you fishers of men. You're a fisherman, I'm going to make you fishers of men. I'm going to do something in you that you're going to start impacting other people's life. You're going to start making a difference, not only in your life, you're not going to just sense it in me, in you, but you're going to do something in other people's life. So you're going to take the life that I put in you, and you're going to now take it, and you're going to help other people have it. That's why I've said all along that any discipleship model that is not me as a disciple making disciples is a false model. Why Jesus, or it's why Paul said, says, we therefore, we are therefore Christ ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us. Would you hear that phrase? God is making, we're his ambassadors, we're his spokesmen, we're his representatives. We're here sent by God. We say live sent, why are you live sent? You are live sent every week. We said every week, you're live sent because you're ambassadors, okay? Live sent, be an ambassador. Why? Because through God where he is making his appeal through us. We are going to be the ones that he's, that, that are going to represent the voice of God. We're going to be the ones that are going to represent the nature of God. We're going to be the ones, we may be the only Jesus that somebody ever encounters. But why are we doing that? To help people be reconciled to God. Man, we, this is not, where I'm just saying, hey, guys, gals, go get your passports. Let's go on a global adventure. Or, hey, go across the street and invite somebody. No, no, no. Let, let's just let me follow Jesus and let him do through me what he wants to do through me. He is going to make me become a fisher of men. David Platt said it like this. Notice in this invitation, in his invitation, Jesus does not tell his disciples what he will call them to do. Instead, Jesus tells them what he causes them to do. You you can't help. When you're following Jesus, if you're really following Jesus, you can't help. All of a sudden, Northwest Arkansas is not just Northwest Arkansas. All of a sudden, Northwest Arkansas is where I live, work, learn, and play to tell other people about Jesus, to make disciples of other people, to, to, to be Jesus in this culture. That's why I'm here. We got these shirts out there, these crazy little shirts out there. It's because I want you to put that shirt on, and I want you to remember that, hey, in every town, every village, every little community, every little nook and cranny of Northwest Arkansas... I am here. I am placed here on mission with God here to be an ambassador, to represent, to be a fisher of men. Jesus is doing that in me when I walk with him and I start seeing my world totally different. If I can quote from Platt one more time, listen to these words. He said, this is a part of what it means to be for us as disciples to make disciples. In our homes, 
in our workplaces, in our families, in our, with our friends and our husbands and our wives and our moms and our dads and our sons and our daughters and our employees and our employees and our teachers and our coaches and our lawyers and our, and our doctors and our janitors and our consultants and our waiters and our salespeople and our accountants, you and I intentionally, notice that word again, intentionally live lives that are worthy of imitation. Notice this last phrase. Through modeling the character of Christ, through speaking the truth of Christ, through showing the love of Christ, we commend the gospel of Christ to people around us in the process of disciple making. What if Jesus changed you to where you no longer were a supplier to Walmart. You were no longer a buyer for Walmart. You were no longer a teacher in the public schools. You were no longer a student on the team. You were now an ambassador in all those various locations of all those other secondary titles, but your number one title, your number one goal, your number one calling, your number one ambition was to be a fisher of men, an ambassador for Christ in that context. What would God do? And what would be beautiful is if all of a sudden God began to change our, the way we saw Northwest Arkansas and then we start seeing the nations in a totally different way. Maybe we've done it all wrong at Grace Point Church over the past 16 years. Now I give it that. Maybe we've done it all wrong. Because we came in starting talking about the nations and we've been about the nations ever since. Maybe we need to come in and start talking about right here. But listen, it doesn't end here. It goes to the nations. To just give you an image of this. So Jesus had these ragtag group of followers. When Jesus ascended into heaven, what did they do? Where did they go? Did it all fall apart? Not at all. They went to the nations. You look at this map of where they went around the world. Joseph, up to Europe. Andrew, through the uh, Slavic nations. You got Phillips and Jude and John and Andrew and Luke all through that Middle East and Eastern Europe kind of block. You've got Bartholomew, maybe up in in modern-day Russia. You've got Simon the Zealot, who's gone uh, past the Black Sea. You've got Matthew and Matthias, who've gone down into North Africa. They are seeing the nations. Look at Thomas. Where'd Thomas? He went the further. Doubting Thomas? Who right up to the very end when Jesus was resurrected was already at that point going, you know, I don't know about this. Where does he become? A missionary to India. That to this very day, you go to southern India, there will be believers in southern India that trace their lineage back to an apostle named Thomas. What a difference we can make whenever we understand that I'm not just called to follow, I'm called to follow to become fishers of men. What does God want to do in my life, in your life?